0: Aaron Miller was visiting church leaders in India. Suddenly, groups of young men arrived and attacked the Christians gathered there. As Aaron was kicked and hit with sticks, he gained new insight about the words of Jesus. A moment of suffering physically was a very
1: sacred moment spiritually. Christ was there present in my situation, and his word came to my mind If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help. Right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.
0: Welcome back to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton. You know, all of us are going to go through periods of suffering of one kind or another. Our persecuted brothers and sisters have something important to teach us, to help prepare us for those times of suffering. Aaron Miller is about to share stories from believers who have suffered in ways that may seem impossible to us. But more importantly, these stories are going to help us to view tribulation in light of what the Bible says and to look for God's glory during the times when we're going through trouble. Aaron leads the work of the Voice of the Martyrs in the Middle East. He spoke recently at a chapel service at Reformation Bible College in Florida. When I heard his talk, I recognized how powerful it was, and I knew that we needed to share it here on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Let's listen to Aaron Miller. I'm going to read from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12.
1: Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That verse from 1 Peter 4 says, do not be surprised. I can tell you that in 2007, on February 2nd, I was very surprised. I was attending a meeting of pastors in a small, I say small by India standards, it's a small city, millions of people, but it's small compared to Delhi where I had come from. I was attending a pastor's meeting where they were spending the day in prayer and worship and strategic discussions on how to reach the most lost places of their region, that central region of India commonly called the heart of India. You see, these brothers, these leaders in the churches there, they knew that if they could get the gospel to the heart of India, they would be on their way to winning India for the Lord. So, they were focusing on the heart. It's a pretty good place to focus. So, we went to meet with them, myself and a friend, a missionary colleague. We traveled there We spent the day with them. And about 3.30 in the afternoon, the meetings were concluding. I had a flight to catch to return back to Delhi that evening to meet my family and my wife and children. And so about 3.30, we began to pack up our things, and we were saying our goodbyes in a very cultural way to express our appreciation to these brothers for letting us come as outsiders, and that is when we noticed some men coming in the back door, and these men young men, 20s, mid-20s, late teens, perhaps, they were Hindu extremists. I would say probably not all of them were Hindu extremists. Some of them surely were hired by Hindu extremists to come and disrupt the meeting. And disrupt it, they did. I, I watched as they turned tables over. I watched as they came in yelling and screaming and chanting Hindu slogans, With their sticks, they started to beat some of the women, some of the pastor's wives, and some of the pastor's. Chaos erupted in the room that day. My friend and I, we we calmly, by God's grace, we took a step back and found a wall that we could stand against momentarily to just survey the situation. And as we did, we realized chaos is erupting. This is not a good place to be. So we saw a break in the crowd, and we made our way down some stairs, into a large entryway of the building that we were meeting in. That was the way out. That was the way of escape. We found out that there were more young men with sticks blocking that door so no one could go out. So we were trapped in this entryway looking for another way. Is there a back door? Is there another way out? There was no other way out. About that time, a a tall Indian man, began to move people out of the way in this entryway. He was moving them with his hands, and he saw me, and he he grabbed me. And as he grabbed me, he grabbed the back of my shirt, almost like I was an elementary student. He just grabbed the back of my shirt collar. And then he moved people again through the crowd with me, and he grabbed my friend by the back of the shirt collar, and he began to lead us outside towards the mob that was outside. And at that moment, I thought, I'm an American, He's not going to do anything to me. They're going to throw us out on the street and tell us to go. I literally was concerned, more concerned, for the pastors and the pastor's wives and the children who are in that place. I had heard stories of what these mobs would do to pastors and to leaders and to Christians, but I'd never experienced this. But it did surprise me when I was led out that door and men began to hit the top of my head and the back of my neck with sticks. It was surprising as they led me through a gauntlet of sorts when men began to raise up their legs and kick into my midsection as we were going through the crowd. It did surprise me when a man came through a gate from the road that we were walking towards. He came through a gate, walks directly up to me, raises a hand high in the air, and slaps me across the cheek so powerfully it knocked the glasses off, and it caused me to lose my balance the man that had the back of my shirt, he pulled me back up. I did not fall. I would have. He, he steadied me, brought me back to my feet, and then we continued to the road. I was very surprised. But something happened in that moment that was also surprising. A moment of suffering physically was a very sacred moment spiritually. Now, I know that that is very hard for us to put together. It's difficult for us to imagine that. A moment of suffering can be a sacred moment with the Lord, but it is. It was for me. I was surprised. It was a strange thing to look at. It was a strange event in my life, but it was also a very sacred event, Something happened in that moment when my mind, as soon as the man slapped me on the cheek and my glasses fell off, the man raised me back up. And as he raised me back up, God's grace came upon me. The Holy Spirit was with me. Christ was there present in my situation. And his word came to my mind. Verse 14 from this passage. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. I will tell you, From my heart, literally, I was afraid. At that moment, when I was hit, I thought, I'm no longer as concerned for the pastors, I'm a little more concerned now about myself. I really did. I had that thought, but I also had the thought, spiritually, this is incredible, because now, in a way that I never dreamed of, I had a fellowship with Christ that I did not have before. It did surprise me. So my main point to you today is that suffering and persecution, it may be strange to us, but it is not strange to our brothers and sisters around the world. They understand that it's a sacred thing. I understood that day that it's a sacred thing. Uh, I made it back home to Delhi that night. I, I will tell you, everything was taken from me. My backpack with a passport and a computer was taken from me. I was taken down a road and and taken behind some houses in an alley. Again, I was afraid at that moment. I thought that perhaps they would take my life at that moment as we pulled into that alley away from public viewing. They did not, obviously, I'm still here. I made my way back to the airport with no identification. They let me in the airport and I was able to get on my flight to make it home to Delhi that evening. Another sacred moment in this story is when my wife and I sat together over the next few days and we had to decide, should we leave India or not? They had my passport. They had my computer with all of my information plus many other missionaries' information. Should we leave or not? And it was Hebrews 10.39 where the writer of Hebrews is telling the people, we are not among those who shrink back. That verse spoke to my wife and to myself, And we looked at each other in the eye, we're living in New Delhi, and we said, we cannot leave unless God tells us to leave. For us, that verse said, don't shrink back in the suffering. So it was a sacred moment for us as a couple, in ministry, in missions, trying to be faithful. That moment of suffering was a moment that was very sacred spiritually. We look back at that as a spiritual marker in our lives. And I will tell you some other stories of brothers and sisters who they would tell you suffering is not strange. A young lady in Colombia, she received a Bible as a part of one of our projects. That Bible that she received as a new believer in her faith, she received that Bible, and as she read through that Bible and as she was discipled, she was emboldened. Living in a red zone, a guerrilla-controlled area in Colombia, she was emboldened to not have fear even in the face of guerrilla leaders. In those areas, guerrilla leaders will come, and they will entice young people to join their army, or they will forcefully remove you from your family, from your home, and take you and force you to join their army for their cause. They had taken her older sister… They came for her. This young lady stood up to them and she said, no, I will not join you. Christ is my authority. Christ is my Lord. I cannot join in your cause. She was bold. She was courageous. But these are not men who are accustomed to being told no. And these are not men who issue empty threats because if they issue empty threats, then they lose the control of fear they have over the people in these communities. So sometime later, they returned, and pardon me for being crass, they killed her. Prior to killing her, they raped her. They go into her church with her body, and they drop it in the center aisle. They leave her body in the middle of that church, and it was a message, don't defy us. In this area, we are the ones who control life and death, they were saying to the church. I asked the brother who was telling me that story. I, I, was, I was so moved and grieved by hearing that story. I asked him, I said, brother, how are her parents? As, as a father of a daughter, I'm thinking, how in the world are they, are they reconciling this? How are they in their faith? And he said, oh, brother, you will never believe they are so faithful. And I went back to my hotel that night, and I will confess to you, even this story was strange to me, the amount of suffering, the horror. And I thought, Lord, I sat around a table when we voted on that project. Distribute Bibles in that area to the believers. And this project that, that we sat around and we discussed in a nice boardroom, it led this girl to death. And the Lord was so compassionate and kind, He's so merciful. And that night in my hotel room, he just gently reminded me, she's not dead. She's more alive than she's ever been. And immediately I began to weep. And I repented for my short-sightedness. I repented for my lack of faith. I repented for not having an eternal perspective. My brothers and sisters in these places, suffering, persecution is not strange it is sacred because they know the lord they experience his comfort they experience his compassion they experience his glory in it it's almost even difficult for me to say those things but then i look in the scriptures and paul says it and it's it's all over the scriptures it talks about rejoicing Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Why is suffering not strange to them? Is it just because they live in a world or in a context where violence is everywhere? From the Middle East to to Latin America to South Asia? I think that might be some of it. It's not strange because they're familiar with it. I think that's some of it. But there's another reason it's not strange to them. Many times I've asked believers, how did you get through that? And they often look at me a little bit confused because I'm this ministry leader coming from the West, right? And they look at me confused and say, but but brother, it's all in his word, We know these things will happen to believers. And it's usually at that moment that I feel like the least spiritual guy in the room. I talked to a mother once in Bangladesh, her child was being harassed at school because they had left Islam and they were born again believers. They were attending church. And, and when I say they left Islam and they came to faith, what I really mean is there has been a radical shift in their life. And then they attend prayer meetings and they're, they're telling people about the gospel they've just heard. They're, they're telling people their testimony of, of how they've experienced this peace and this forgiveness of sins. I mean, they can't contain it. And then the people around them say, stop doing that. Stop it. You're creating problems. But you see, they can't stop because it's not something they started They have to get this message out. This mother in Bangladesh was that way with her child, so her child was being harassed at school. So much to the point, an elementary school child being refused to go to the bathroom all day long. Muslim children would block the doorway to the bathroom and not let this child go to the bathroom all day long at school. Teachers didn't do anything about it. The teachers turned a blind eye to it. I asked this mother, I said, "What?" What are, you, what are you doing? What do you tell your child? I literally asked, what are you telling your child? In my head, I'm thinking, I know what I would do. I would march into the school. I would march into the principal's office. I would go find another school. I would, I would start talking to people. I would, I would fix this problem, right? This woman looked at me. I can almost see her face as I imagine it. She looked at me and she said, I told my child that we can expect this. We expect this treatment. It's how they treated the Lord, so it's how they'll treat us. It was not strange to her. It was very strange to me. I'll tell you another story of a family that was experiencing suffering. They've experienced great suffering. They live in Kurdistan, which is an area in northern Iraq, a Kurdish family who had come to faith. This was a man who definitely had a shift in his life. He shifted his life so much so his lifestyle towards Christ and the gospel that his family was telling him, you gotta stop, don't do this, you're creating problems. And he said, no, I can't, I won't. So the threats came, the threats against him, the threats against his life, the threats against his wife and her, her children and, and the threats against their whole family. So he wisely, trying to be a good husband, he decided they would move locations. They would move to a safer location. So they moved to a safer location. They grew in their faith. They were distributing Bibles. They were smuggling Bibles into other countries. They were uh, very active in church planting, but also other activities to try to help people disciple and grow in their faith. So they were leaders in the network uh, in their area. His daughter gets married to a young man who's also in the faith. He begins to join them in their Bible-smuggling activities. He crosses a border in order to smuggle Bibles to a very uh, important country where the church is growing very quickly in the world to get Bibles to new believers who were in desperate need of them. And he was shot. But he was shot about three weeks before his wife was going to deliver their second child. So this young widow who's grieving, carrying a child, Three weeks or so later, she delivers a son. This son is now a year and a half. I was in their home and the one and a half year old son walked in as we were eating lunch. One of my colleagues we were traveling together with, he became so emotional at the sight of this young boy walking in and sitting on his mother's lap, he just had to stop eating. These are real people. Please hear that today. These are not props for my chapel message. These are not stories for us to put in a magazine. They are real people. They're your brothers and sisters in the faith. They are people you will spend eternity with. Praise God. We asked about this woman, how she's doing. She's raising two kids on her own. And her father, the eldest man in the home, the network leader, the, the main Bible distributor, he said, she's doing okay. She's still grieving. And you could see it on her face. You could tell she's still in grief. But then he said, you know, we've done some things to help her heal. We said, oh, great. You know, what, what are you doing to help her heal? And he said, well, we, we've sent her on a couple of Bible smuggling trips. Again, it was very strange for me to hear that. That would not have been my counsel. I said, you, you sent her into the same area to deliver Bibles? Oh, yes. It helped her heal to see what her husband was willing to die for. It's another moment when I was the least spiritual guy in the room. It helped her heal to see what her husband was willing to die for. You see, when I was called into missions, God was so gracious. He was so merciful. (laughs) I was not fully ready to go. I didn't know everything I wish I had known. And he used us, and there was some fruit. But I will confess to you today, and I probably, this was a, This is an early morning addition to my notes. I probably went to the nations because I thought the need of the lost was so great. Many missionaries do. You hear missionary messages about how great the need is of the lost. Billions and billions of people dying, going to hell. And it's true. It is true. Their need is great. But something over the years, 20 plus years I've been doing this now, something over the years has happened. And there's been a shift. And it really has happened because what I've witnessed in my brothers and sisters in these places, they don't go because the need is so great. They're not willing to risk greatly because the need of the people is so great. They go because... Their God is great, and he's done great things for them. I have repented. If I'm not willing to suffer, if I'm not willing to risk and suffer greatly, is it because I don't see my God as great? Oh, Lord, I've, I've asked him to forgive me. I've asked him to broaden my vision of who he is and how great he is. I've also asked him to remind me yet again what great things he's done for me at the cross, every day when I wake up. These brothers and sisters, they have fellowship with Christ in their suffering, that's what makes it sacred. They receive comfort from the Holy Spirit, that's what makes it a sacred time. They also see many other people come to faith. They see the glory of God spreading. I will tell you today, The global church is growing. The message of Christ is spreading. He is doing great things. Our God is great. And I would ask you today, consider that. If you you shrink back at some of these stories, as Hebrews 10.39 says, to use that language, if you shrink back a little bit at these stories, maybe we need to ask the Lord to show us how great He is.
0: That's Aaron Miller speaking recently to students at Reformation Bible College. You know, Aaron reminds us you and I can expect that trials will come, but we can also know that Jesus will be with us, even right in the midst of our suffering. Aaron leads the work of VOM in the Middle East. He's also been a guest a number of times previously here on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. You can hear those conversations when you look in the archives at vomradio.net. You can also search for VOM Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. Next week, we're going to hear a powerful story from a martyr's widow. She was able to forgive her husband's killers, and even express that forgiveness on national television in the U.S., but also all over the Middle East in Arabic, the language of the people there, the language of her husband's murderers. You will be inspired by her faithfulness. I don't want you to miss that conversation. So be back with us next week right here on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.